15 Minutes of Fascism, your weekly news analysis and update podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig. Uh, This week, we are, of course, still talking about the right-wing response to the uh, wave of Black Lives Matter protests that have been continuing to grow throughout the United States and the rest of the world. Uh, And we're also going to have a little bit of history uh, on the KKK. Uh, Now, first, talking about uh, the right-wing response to the Black Lives Matter protests, um, we have seen a number of attacks by right-wing protesters wielding cars as weapons, uh, trying to kill or maim or just otherwise deter protesters. Uh, This is a tactic uh, that you should remember, not just from previous episodes of this podcast and the rest of the news, uh, but specifically from the Charlottesville attack in 2017 at the Unite the Right rally. Uh, There have been almost a dozen instances of right-wing protesters using vehicles to attack people uh, at Black Lives Matter protests over the last uh, week. Uh, There have been no fatalities in these attacks, uh, which is frankly astonishing. Um, It's entirely possible and in fact likely that at some point uh, they will succeed in hurting someone. I sincerely hope that they don't. Uh, but when they do, uh, it's going to be important that the narrative remain not one of, oh, the protests caused chaos and, you know, people are responding to that, you know, like the, that the protests are just like riding a wave of popular uprising, but instead that this is an example of partisan and racist violence um, against people who are trying to upend a system of racial oppression that has been in place uh, in the United States and much of the Western world for centuries. Um, In addition to these car attacks, uh, there have been uh, several shootings uh, at protests. Um, At the car attack in Seattle last week, uh, as I noted last week, a protester was shot. Uh, There were several other shootings this week. Uh, Notably, uh, a relative of a sheriff in New Mexico shot a protester uh, uh, at a protest in Albuquerque this week. Uh, This person was apprehended. Uh, It turns out not only that he is the relative of a sheriff, but that he is also part of this boogaloo movement of right-wing agitators who are hoping to take advantage of, you know, a narrative of chaos and civil unrest in order to promote their racist agenda. Um, In addition to this, uh, three men were found with guns, weapons, explosives, etc. also in New Mexico. Uh, They were also affiliated with the Boogaloo movement. I sort of hesitate to call it that. I mean, movement is a little bit of a complicated term, right? Um, It's not as if we're talking about like an organized, defined group of people. they're specifically disorganized uh, in a way that harkens back to the 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, neo-Nazi and right-wing militancy and violence. Um, this is the movement that somebody like Timothy McVeigh comes out of, right? You know, this is where the the phrase "a lone wolf" uh, comes to the fore. Um, these are people who are, you know, at least they perceive it to be that they are organizing themselves. Uh, in order to increase the uh, likelihood that there will be something like a civil war or some mass amount of civil unrest in the United States. Um, In addition, of course, uh, these people are almost to a person, racist, misogynist, uh, 
uh, and extremely violent. And it is entirely likely that we are going to see more and more attempts like these uh, to attack protesters, but also to attack police officers. Um, it's turned out in the last week that a shoot that the shooting of a police officer in Oakland last month uh, was actually committed by not anti-racist protesters, uh, but by right-wing protesters, by by right-wing counter-protesters rather, um, also affiliated with this. Boogaloo impulse. Maybe impulse is a better word as opposed to movement. We'll think about that a little bit. Um, in addition, uh, over the weekend, hundreds of counter-protesters uh, swarmed a city in Ohio called Bethel uh, in response to that city's uh, Black Lives Matter protest. Now, Bethel is a small city, a small town, uh, and so its uh, Black Lives Matter movement is relatively small. Um, hence. Uh, the fact that hundreds of counter-protesters of right-wing counter-anti-racist, as in racist counter-protesters, uh, were present, and not just present, but also armed, uh, and as if they were prepared for a fight, uh, is uh, indicative. Uh, these people are preparing for violence. They are trying to be violent. Uh, this was not the only example that we saw in the last week. There were several uh, in which police officers uh, sort of stood idly by as protesters were harassed, uh, as protesters were confronted, as protesters were hit. Um, we're going to see more and more examples of this in which counter-protesters interact directly with the police uh, in order to promote violence or just even just to get away with engaging in violence. Uh, the point is that the usual narrative on all of this stuff is, you know, like, oh, look at these counter-protesters, you know, like they're being ridiculous to make fun of their um, insignia, to make fun of the fact that the, the concept of the boogaloo is sort of like a joke. But that's the point, right? They want us to find it funny because they do in some capacity. Um, instead, I propose that we take it deadly seriously. Uh, these people are fascists. They are trying to incite partisan civil violence. They are trying to kill people or get people killed by the police. Um, they have killed people. They have shot people. They've attacked people. It's not funny at all. The only people who think that it's funny are them, and that's because they're coming at it from a place of A, relative privilege. You know, these are universally men and almost universally uh, white men. And the point is that even if we try to ignore their presence in the streets, you know, like, let's say like, you know, sometimes people say something like, oh, well, you know, the best way to handle something like this is to ignore it, right? You know, to not give them a platform. But the fact is that uh, as evidenced by uh, a right-wing, supposedly right-wing counter-protest against what's supposed to be according to some misinformation and Antifa rally. Uh, so, you know, like all these counter protesters show up and Antifa doesn't show up and like, haha, we won. That's what they think, right? And we point and laugh. And I mean, honestly, that is kind of a funny story. Uh, but the fact is that the people at that right-wing rally perceived it as a victory. And what they experienced was dozens or hundreds of armed white men took the streets, and organized an event in public 
where they were openly fascistic, openly wielding weapons, and controlling public space. That, that's not something that we can laugh away, unfortunately. Uh, it's much too far gone for that. Uh, we have to take this stuff seriously, uh, specifically while they aren't. All right, uh, I am releasing this episode of this podcast on Juneteenth, a holiday which in the United States, uh, though only recently and increasingly recognized uh, by uh, official parts of the United States government, uh, a holiday which has been celebrated uh, primarily by Black Americans in the South uh, originally, but also by African Americans throughout the country, um, and increasingly by anti-racist allies. Uh, commemorating, uh, specifically it commemorates uh, the announcement in Texas that the Emancipation Proclamation was going to be enforced and that enslaved people were going to have their freedom recognized. Um, the holiday has since come to be a time to celebrate um, abolition, the, the end of slavery in the United States. Um, now, as that holiday and its importance has gotten increasing recognition, uh, throughout the country, it's also brought attention to the fact that uh, the right wing in the United States has a specific racial component. Uh, the right wing in the United States is white supremacist in a way that not all right wings are, at least not in exactly the same way, not to the same extent. Um, I've talked previously about the relationship between the right and nationalism and the relationship between nationalism and racism. and this isn't a time to talk about that. Um, instead, I want to talk about the most successful, enduring, and disgusting right-wing movement in the history of the United States, which is the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. Um, now, I'm not a specific expert on the KKK. Uh, I don't claim to be. Uh, but they are an important example of what I talk about in this podcast. They were and remain a partisan militia of armed white men uh, who try to influence politics by using violence. Um, now, there's a significant amount of sort of professional academic wrangling about whether or not the KKK was the first fascist organization. Um, I would argue that they're more sort of reactionaries or revanchists. So revanchism is a specific type of right-wing militancy uh, that's about, you know, quote, regaining something that has been lost. Uh, and that's sort of how the KKK presented itself when it was originally formed uh, and throughout, especially in uh, its most active period uh, when it was originally formed and then in the early 20th century. Um, so, you know, their purpose, their claim, their goal was to uh, regain the white supremacist position that uh, white men had uh, before uh, before emancipation, and also specifically back then, uh, the KKK was also very focused uh, not just on Black Americans, but also on uh, Catholic people. Um, uh, Catholics being identified with immigrants, uh, Catholics being identified, of course, with you know not being Protestants, uh, and at the time in the early 20th century, and of course also in the 19th century, um, whiteness in the United States was very particularly coded toward Protestantism. Um, and it's really only in the, you know, like once you get into the 30s and the 40s and especially the 50s, 
that uh, what we think of now as, you know, quote, ethnic whiteness, uh, that is Italian Americans, Armenian Americans, Irish Americans, uh, become also simply white uh, in a way that they were not in the early 20th century. And so therefore they were also the targets of the KKK. But of course, the primary target of the KKK's ire and their horrible, horrible violence was the rights and the lives of African-Americans. Now, when the KKK was at its most powerful, uh, it was a extensive militia network uh, organizing thousands of armed white men uh, to attack people for exercising their civil rights, for, for voting, uh, for purchasing property in places that uh, African-Americans uh, were restricted from, either legally or illegally, uh, for enforcing the separation of uh, white and black Americans uh, with marriage and love and sex, um, with enforcing white supremacy in any number of innumerable ways that I do not claim to be an expert on. Uh, if you are interested in the history of the KKK, I would suggest looking at the excellent books by Kathleen Blee and Kenneth Jackson. Um, Blee wrote Women of the Klan, Racism and Gender in the 1920s, and Jackson wrote The Ku Klux Klan in the City, uh, 1915 to 1930. Uh, both of these are specifically focused on the uh, heyday of the Klan and its first revival, uh, when it was at its most powerful since uh, the uh, immediate aftermath of Reconstruction. Uh, the reason to bring up the Klan now um, is to note that people like them, uh, people who are engaging in the same kinds of violent attacks uh, against fellow human beings um, because of their racial identity, uh, because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation, because of their ethnicity, because of their religion. Um, similarly, bigoted and oppressive people are on the rise today throughout the world. Um, and unfortunately, uh, those of us who fight these people, those of us who fight and combat the right wing, uh, need to learn from the histories of those movements uh, if we hope to confront and defeat them in the days to come. And these people can be defeated. Uh, they have been defeated before. Uh, we just need to keep fighting. And so uh, I urge you all to celebrate Juneteenth, uh, a holiday that deserves celebration uh, in addition to contemplation uh, by fighting racism, um, by attending a Black Lives Matter protest, uh, if your COVID risk profile allows for that, uh, by donating to organizations uh, that will use your money effectively uh, if your risk profile does not. Um, and if you are white specifically, uh, this is an important moment uh, to listen to people of color, to listen to black people, uh, to think about your role in the maintenance of white supremacy and to devise solutions, devise strategies, how you in your life both as an individual and as a member of society and other organizations, uh, how you are going to not just try to be less racist or try to you know, reduce your own personal impact, but how you're going to help dismantle uh, the edifice of white supremacy and uh, uh, the oppression of people of color and black people specifically in the United States. 
right? I'll talk to you next week.